father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious. The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, or Waste Time on Fictional Wikis. My name is Ryan. And my name is Joanna. Hello. I don't have any Lord of the Rings news, and I think we better skip news altogether, because this week's episode is going to cover a lot of characters. Well, don't you want to talk about Force Friday and all the new action figures and merchandise to buy and fill your house with garbage? I don't want to talk about those things to you. No. <laughs> that would be more your purview. No, that's for- Force Friday was this past Friday, and everyone's like, toys. And I'm Oh, like, so it's just like basically another It's a merchandising opportunity. opportunity. It's basically yeah. when all the toys cool, for the new cool. movie for Rise of Skywalker were released to stores and people... Be a slave. Be a slave for your, your capitalist masters. I don't think it's as crazy as it used to be. I remember like when we were kids and like episode one toys came out and there were lines like around the block to oh, get the Toys R Us. wow. Really? People wanted to get... They thought it was like the Beanie Babies thing. They thought it'd be like, if I get these Star Wars toys, because they remembered how much the old ones are worth now. Like yeah. the 70s ones. They thought if I get ground floor on this and I get like Jar Jar, Mint and box on card you know and i keep him safe he's gonna be worth money it's gonna pay for my kids college realistically i think people will pay you to take a mint in well, box jar jar <laughs> surprisingly enough if you go to any like comic book store now you can find those exact same figures still on the cards still in good shape for less than they cost at the time of buying them just like beanie babies just like beanie babies but anyway uh i'm just gonna sit here surrounded all by my 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 we're in my Porg hoodie and sipping out of my Kylo Ren water bottle and fixing my wounds with Chewbacca band aids and we'll just, just start talking about what we're talking about. Ryan has none of those things. He is. What are you talking about? I'm, we- I'm wearing my Ray shutter shades right now. If such a thing existed. Oh, sorry. These are C-3PO shutter shades because they're like his eyes. You know, I have the shutters. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm lowering them and I'm making you a disapproving waggle of my finger, which has a, a little uh, tattoo of BB-8 on it um, that I bought. Uh, let's get let's keep talking. Okay, cool. So today, I'm going to launch right into it. We are talking about The Hobbit. Specifically, we are talking about the dwarves of The Hobbit. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of those guys. There's a lot of these guys. Not all of them have terribly much to say. So this is going to be quick and easy, and you're going to get done fast. I mean, once we get past Thorin, yes. Okay. Thorin has quite a lot to say. The rest of the dwarves, not so much, but... Uh, I am going to tell you the origins of their names. So this is a continuation of last week's episode where Joanna went into kind of like the backstory of the Hobbit and its development, and now she's developing the dwarfs. Yep. Uh, Last week I told you why the Hobbit is awesome, including some uh, literary criticism and the background of how Tolkien developed the story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I'm going to tell you about the main players who are are treading the boards on this particular stage. Thorin Oakenshield, uh, more officially known as Thorin II. Because oh. there was a first Thorn before him. His dad? No. His no. dad's not. His dad's uh-uh. his Thrain. Dad not. His dad is Thrain. Oh, good. You know. Okay, so in the year 2746 of the Third Age, Thorin II was born to the dwarven prince Thrain II mm. in Erebor. He's an Erebor native, born and raised. Okay. He and the other dwarves of the Lonely Mountain, as you know, were forced to flee by the dragon Smog in 2770. So that was when he was, let's see, 24 years old. He is that young, huh? Very, very young. Much younger than they make any of the dwarves seem in the movie. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, remember Balin? Yeah. Remember how he was, like, well old? He was aged. He was seven when Smaug stormed Erebor. A little boy. He was a little baby Wait, wait, so you mean to tell me that Thorin is older than Balin? Thorin is the very oldest. But he, but Balin is like a white-bearded old man. Only in the Peter Jackson movies. Oh, he changed the ages. He did. Mm. So, Thorin became a capable warrior, as demonstrated by his participation in the Battle of Asnul Bazaar in 2799, about which more later. Asnul Bazaar. He Asnul Bazaar, Asnul Bazaar. Thorin marched with one of the dwarven armies beneath the east gate of Moria in that battle. At some point in the fighting, his shield broke, and using an oaken tree branch found on the floor as a shield, he gained the epithet Oaken Shield, which would remain with him even in death. It's a pretty cool way to earn last names back then, huh? Yeah, I mean, you, you had like, to do, do something cool like, really sweet in battle. If you yeah. had an epithet, what would it be? I've never done anything cool in battle, so it'd be like, Ryan, who just died? <laughs> Ryan, who just died? In battle. I like it. Ryan, who was decapitated by an orc. Within the first five seconds of the skirmish. Ryan, who tried to fire his bow and tripped over the string and fell off the Helm's Deep wall like a dipped. That would be my... That would be your epithet. Epithet. That would be more epithet as as we think of it in the modern sense. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. The War of the Dwarves and the Orcs, uh, including the Battle of Azan... Oh, hold on. Azanul Bazaar. It never stops being difficult to say. Uh, we haven't talked about this before, so I want to give you a little bit of a rundown on this war. Okay. This war began when Thorin's possibly senile grandfather, Thror, was wandering around Moria alone like a dumbass and was murdered by Azag the Orc in 2790 of the Third Age. Mm. But Azag didn't just murder the old guy. Oh, no. He branded his own name on the dwarf's severed head. He also hacked the body to pieces and fed it to crows, which I think we can agree is a touch excessive. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Azag gloated over this act and not only prevented the dwarves from recovering Thor's head, but insultingly tossed a money bag in mock payment for the head. Ooh, now this is Azog? This is Azog, Azog the Defiler, the, the white, Pale Orc. The Pale Orc? Uh-huh, as played by John Cena in the Peter Jackson <laughs> he, films. He looks like a big... <laughs> burly wrestling man i think we can all agree that if you have seen it the original design for azag which was a, a, a genuine costume was probably cooler than cooler. the cg that we got yeah now he looks like some mma guy and it sucks so from third age 2790 so basically whenever i say azag imagine that original the costume okay one. yeah yeah the cool kind of guy with like the the furry outfit and yeah like, okay got and like it. the messed up face from third age 2790 to 2793 uh, Durin's folk responded to this insult by gathering their forces, calling on all the other dwarf houses for help. Now, there were six years of war from that point. In Third Age 2793, the combined army of all the dwarves attacked and sacked one by one all the orc strongholds in the Misty Mountains. Mm. Most of the war was fought underground. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that which makes is sense. where the orcs they, live, and, and also so where dwarves. dwarves live. In the great mines and tunnels of the Misty Mountains. The war was a complete Shit show, pardon my French, with neither side showing any mercy. I don't think you pardoned it at all. I think you meant to I actually say that. don't care if you pardon it. I actually don't. However, the dwarves had the upper hand because their weapons were better and also they were just really pissed off. The final battle was Azanul Bazaar. Azanul Bazaar. Azanul Bazaar. Azanul Bazaar. The war climaxed with a final battle that was fought in the large valley outside the eastern gate of Moria. Mm-hmm. The battle initially went against the dwarves because the orcs had the high ground and greater numbers, and also since it was a dark day in winter, there was no sun to bother them. Cool. 
Finally, a group of dwarves from the Iron Hills arrived to reinforce the dwarves. Azog was slain by Dane Ironfoot, a.k.a. Billy Connolly. In the movie, yeah. And his head was stuck on a pike with the money bag stuck in his mouth. Cool as heck. However, ultimately, some 10,000 orcs were slain in various horrible ways, as were many dwarves. But the dwarves walked home, and they were dusting their hands off, and they were like, That was an Azanul bizarre adventure, huh? And then roundabout plate. Now, after the battle, um, they had to deal with the aftermath. Thorin's dad, Thrain, wanted to go into Moria and reclaim it. Because, like, I mean, they were there. Mm-hmm. Like, why not? It's, we, mean, already, we already made this trip. No one's taken it. But the dwarves, not of Durin's folk, were like, look, we already avenged the king by basically genociding the orcs of the Misty Mountains. That's enough. Plus, what was left of the dwarves wasn't really enough to storm Moria. Plus, plus, Dane Ironfoot had taken the opportunity to peek inside Moria at one point, and there was definitely a Balrog there. Already hanging out there, Yep. This was the same Balrog that had killed a bunch of dwarves and driven them out of Moria 800 years earlier. So Dane peeked in, and it was like, yep, still here! And yet they kept digging in Moria? No, they didn't. They hadn't lived in Moria for 800 years. I'm talking about the dwarves, like, the dwarves that are all dead in Moria in, like, Fellowship of the Ring. Ah, yeah, that was unwise. (laughs) They kept doing it? This is, like, number... That was very unwise. That was the third time they saw the damn thing? I'm sure if they had asked Dane Ironfoot, he would have been like, I looked in there, there's a Balrog in there, don't do it. Don't delve that deep, dude. Um, but anyway, at this particular juncture, the dwarves were like, to hell with that. Yeah, Audi. So Thrain was forced to withdraw. Now... You have to understand that the war was very costly for the dwarves. In fact, nearly half of those involved were killed or seriously wounded. Thrain himself lost an eye, and his elder son Thorin earned his epithet Oakenshield, as we said, using an oak branch to defend himself. After the battle, the dwarves stripped their dead, and they didn't have time or resources to make proper tombs, so they had to cremate them. These dead were subsequently revered in memory as the, quote, burned dwarves. They have, like, a real traditional, like, burial procedure in dwarf society. Yeah. They were supposed to actually, like, like return to the mountain bury kind of them thing. in tombs. Yeah, oh, okay. inside the mountain. But they didn't. You know, you know, like, Balin's tomb. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the fatalities included Nain, who was the uh, one who brought the contingent from the Iron Hills. Frerin, about which more later, the second son of Thrain, Thorin's uh, bro. Mm-hmm. And Fundin, the father of Balin. Oh no, a lot of dads. Yeah, a lot of dads died. This was the this was the the night of a, a thousand dead dads. Dead dwarf dads. There were other consequences too. During the conflict, many orcs fled south through Rohan, mm. trying to find refuge in the White Mountains beyond, and troubled quote troubled the Rohirrim for two generations. Troubled seems like too light of a word to be honest. Like the orcs are just littering and, yeah. and walking on the Rohirrim's lawns right after they resodded them and stuff. They, I, I think it was probably more than troubled. They're but. loitering. They put up that that weird sign that only orcs can hear. Yeah, keep them away from. Like, yeah. <laughs> stop them skateboarding. Stop skateboarding. Outside outside medicine. Medicine. <laughs> stop doing ollies off our horses. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> But they were trouble. Okay. Anyway, in Third Age 2799, a contingent of orcs found their way to the south of the White Mountains, but they were met by the forces of Dol Amroth. Remember Dol mm. Amroth? It's like a principality of Gondor. Yeah. The 16th prince of Dol Amroth was killed in this battle. Other effects of the war were that the orcs of the Misty Mountains virtually disappeared as a threat for Eriador and Wilderland. So, like I said, straight up genocide. Mm-hmm. But back to Thorin specifically. Real quick before we move on. Yeah. How much of this did Thor, uh, did Tolkien know when he was writing The Hobbit? Oh, like, none of it. None it, of it. It, it, it. I Like, he did mention the battle, and he mentioned the head, and he mm-hmm. mentioned... No, he, like, he... Like, was he already deep into the sill when he was writing The Hobbit? Oh, he was super deep into the sill when so he was So is this in the, the sill when he was writing The Hobbit? I don't remember if this is mentioned in the sill. 
Where's he definitely from? wouldn't have made a connection between the world of the Hobbit and Dol Amroth and Gondor be- to begin with because he didn't know that they took place in the same universe at uh, first. Okay, okay. I think that he probably knew. Boy, I'd have to look into it, Ryan. I'd have to look into it. You're making me look a fool here. I just I, you're the you're the scholar here. I'm just trying to make sure I'm on the same page as you. I'm starting to doubt your credentials. So let's just keep talking and we'll figure it out. Yes, yeah, so when I go to the end for my uh, end of the semester. Um, survey of my professor. I'm going to say she knew quite a bit, but then there was that thing where she didn't know if, like, the Hobbit was... Okay, so Moria was a thing. The Battle of Azanulbazar was a thing in The Hobbit. But it wasn't connected to Tolkien's greater mythos yet! Okay, so here's me taking the survey. I'm erasing that thing I just wrote, and I said, Professor Joanna Lesher is really smart. Professor Joanna Lesher can check Wikipedia. (laughs) She's uh, actually really smart, and I stand corrected. A plus, five stars, would take classes again. Now, back to Thorne specifically. You smart ass. Okay. Let's talk about his family. Firstly, he had a younger brother called Freren, who I mentioned, and little is known about him except his ass died. Uh, Thorne also had a younger sister called Dis. Dis was born in the Lonely Mountains in Third Age 2760 and was later driven into exile by Smaug, just like her brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the only dwarf woman ever named by Tolkien in homage to her son's valiant deaths in the Battle of the Five Armies. She is Feely and Keeley's mom. Oh, okay, that's right. So on the plus side, there's an actual female mentioned in The Hobbit. On the minus side, she's only mentioned in connection with her male children. So cool. Does she have a beard? Yes, she does. Good. I assume. I don't know. It never It never even gets that specific. Remember how in Lord of the Rings Online, you could play a dwarf, but there was no gender choice. It was just dwarf. Yeah. Like, gender was dwarf. Because they're indistinguishable. You might as well. Yeah. I think, well. It's, I think, yeah. It's, I think, it's really I think that's funny. good. I think that's positive. You could also play a female dwarf in Warcraft, except no one ever did, because they weren't hot. Mm-hmm. So I, when I played one, it was such a novelty that random dudes would just, like, give me gold. Like, thank you for, for representing. Yeah. Thank you for thank you so much. Like this is so rare. And one time a guy gave me gold and I said, like, oh thank you, kind sir. And he's like, You're welcome, slut. <laughs> Online games are bad. Huh, I don't know how to feel about this. Next messages. Now anyway, we already mentioned Thorin's uh dad, Thrain. He mm-hmm. was born in twenty six forty four, the son and heir of King Thror. By twenty seven ninety, he and his family were living in Dunland. In and in that year, Thror remember, king. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Thorin's grandfather gave the family errands to Thrain, including the map to Erebor, one of the seven rings of power, and then F's off. And that's when he was murdered by Azog, as uh. we mentioned. Thrain thus became the king of Durin's folk and set off the War of the Dwarves and Orcs. After the war, Thrain and his surviving family, a.k.a. Uh, Thorin and Dis, uh, wandered on, but in 2802 they established themselves in Eridluin, the Blue Mountains, where they settled in the old dwarf mines and prospered, though not as much as they would have in Erebor. We have to be marginally less rich. Yeah, well, we don't have our Arkenstone anymore. Thrain still had one of the seven rings, but it could not make his people wealthy again. Mm. As Thrain grew towards old age, he was driven by the malice of his ring and the desire for gold gnawed at his heart. Oh, dear. In 2841, he left his family and started wandering around, much like his father had done. And in 2845, he was captured and imprisoned in Dol Guldur in southern Mirkwood. So, like, this goddamn family keeps sundowning and getting captured by bad guys. It's like a very <laughs> specific toxic cycle. Is it running the family? Like, this, uh, this stuff? I think it's a coincidence. I okay. don't know what Thor's deal was. I think he just wanted to recapture Moria because, like, I don't know. He had shitty ideas. Mm-hmm. And then Thrain, it was the malice of the ring. 
Oh, that drove yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. Don't accept gifts from shiny, happy men. You Don't. Know. Now, in, in, in 2018, so he, he disappeared for like five years. He, he was, nobody knew what happened to him. Mm-hmm. In 2850, Gandalf found a dying Thrain while on a mission to Dol Guldur to discover the identity of the necromancer. Oh, okay. This is happening behind the scenes here. Um, Thrain gave him the old map. Gandalf promised to deliver it to Thrain's son. This is the map to Erebor. Ah, he yes. promised to deliver it to Thrain's son, Thorin, but Thrain, who was delirious with pain, had forgotten Thorin's name. That's sad. So he's like, deliver this to my son. And Gandalf's like, who's your son? He's like, I don't remember. <laughs> he had also forgotten his own his own name. Are you my son? It's okay. I think you look it's like you. my son. You're taller than I remember, but the beard's the same. So Gandalf did not expect to be able to fill this promise, yeah. obviously. This is basically like what happens to Alex Jones when he eats a bowl of chili. Yeah. <laughs> Thrain died soon afterwards. Many years later, Gandalf met Thorin near Bree and realized, oh, you're the son of that captured dwarf in Dol Guldur. I, yeah, uh, you seem like the kind of guy who's gonna, like, sundown when he's old. And... <laughs> yeah, he sundowns when he's not even that old. Yeah. It's called dragon sickness. Uh, but he put the pieces together and he's like, you're that guy's son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did a, he a forgot DNA your test name. And, I am yeah. so sorry. He promised to help Thorne with the quest for Erebor and invited a hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. And uh, the rest is history. So I don't know that part. Can you tell me more? <laughs> nope. Absolutely oh, okay. Not. I'll also leave that. I'm going to go back to my survey, Read Professor Joanna here. Uh, she didn't actually answer Read my questions. The book. Now, it was only at this late date that Thorne actually learned what had happened to his father. And he was like, I gotta take revenge! Yeah. He's really pissed off. Uh, Gandalf, who alone of those present knew who the necromancer really was, urged caution and reminded Thorne of the far older debt of vengeance he owed Smaug. So basically, he used one quest of vengeance to distract him from another quest of vengeance. The, so, as I mentioned last time, most of the dwarves' names come from the Ada. Which is this yeah. old, like, Icelandic saga, Norse, uh, Norse saga. In Norse, uh, Thorin means darer or bold one, which is apt for the dwarf who initiated the quest for Erebor. Okay. Some of these names are cooler than other, those, others, all right, though, all so right. just wait for it. All right, Balin. 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 Living the life, the life, life, the life. Balin. Now, Balin is the only dwarf of Thorin's company whose name actually doesn't come from the Old Norse poem, Voluspa, part of the poetic Edda. Okay. There's, like, a guy in it called, like, Blaine, which is, like, Balin kind of mixed around. A couple, couple letters yeah. swapped, yeah. The name does appear in uh, Thomas Mallory's Le Mort d'Arthur, but that Sir Balin is actually a massive dickhead who kills the Lady of the Lake and then gets murdered by his own bro. Balin! So Tolkien's Balin is definitely better and, dare I say, more Balin. I agree, more Balin. Balin was born in Erebor in 2763, the son of Fundin. I keep wanting to mention this. Do you remember how in the Asian bootleg they called Balin, son of Fundin, Baron, son of Hodin? <laughs> uh, no, I don't, but I, I like that a lot. I need to dig that up. It was like one of my favorite things. Baron, son of Hody. Here lies Baron, son of Hody. Hody. <laughs> Hody and the blowfish. Hody and the blowfish. Now, Balin, uh, contrary to what you see in Peter Jackson's movies, was seven when Smaug attacked Erebor. Balin's dad, Fundin, was killed in the Battle of Azanul Bazar. In 2802, Balin and his brother, Dwalin, settled in the Blue Mountains with their surviving family. In 2841, Balin and Dwalin were among those who set out a wander in Rithrain II. Mm-hmm. But they lost him and returned to the Blue Mountains, and he got tortured and forgot his son's name. Man. Balin is the second eldest after Thorin. Not far older than Thorin, as is shown in Peter Jackson. Interesting. Movies. I think it's changed, they changed the age around to make Balin be like, oh, he's the wise he's old. He's the wise one. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
they make him, yeah. So Tolkien describes Balan as the dwarf's lookout man. Mm-hmm. He spots Bilbo approaching the green dragon in it by water. He spots the troll's fire and the troll shaws. And he is the first to spot the elves in Mirkwood. So basically he's a Hufflepuff. Okay, he's, he's loyal. He's, no, he's great at finding things. Yeah. He's really great at finding things. <laughs> One thing I noticed about Tolkien's characters, it seems like he really values age. Yes. Like, I feel like the older you are, the better you are at doing things. Yeah. I mean, that, like, which is like kind of a... It's interesting, because it's like a lot of times medieval we... Medieval like, concept. Yeah, modern day we value youth so much. And right. so like to make Thorne a little younger in the movie makes sense, because it's like, okay, no one's going to believe he's like an old man fighting. Plus they have to add, I hate to say this, some sex appeal. Yeah. They have to make, you know, Richard Armitage is a handsome man. Yeah. yeah. So, they, they also kind of did with... Um, Feely with Feely and Keeley's and... Yeah, with Feely and Keeley and not giving them, like, huge beards and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, but no, I think you're right. I think generally the aged are seen as, like, very wise. Like, Orig- Aragorn... Aragorn. Uh, Aragorn is, like, 80-something and he's, 87. like... And he's kicking ass. And then you have, like, Gandalf Well, that's who's because like, of the partial pressure of his blood. I'm just saying. Yeah, partial pressure is really high. Yeah, Gandalf is, like, thousands of years old. Right? You got, like... Like, Theoden's, like, an old man, like, all like, oh, I'm decrepit. But then when he comes back, he's, like, kicking ass on the battlefield. Yeah. And, like... So, it's basically the opposite of real life, where when you get old, you just get, like, extremely racist. <laughs> I mean, we didn't see that part. Theoden very much could have been, like, very, like, I will fight for Ro- Rohan, but I kind of don't like those Dunlendings. Well, that's... Th- I mean, like, that is actually kind of true. And yeah. here's the thing. Thorin actually was kind of racist. Against orcs. So, yeah. Well, against orcs and also against elves. Uh-huh. So, but Gandalf's not racist. But Gandalf loves everybody. Gandalf's colorblind. He doesn't He doesn't see color. No, 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 no. No. Everybody, he treats everybody the same. <laughs> All right. So, in the course of the quest, Balin is the dwarf who develops the closest friendship with Bilbo. That is shown in Peter Jackson's movies. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who volunteers to accompany Bilbo down the secret Erebor passage to Smaug. Some years after the quest, he and Gandalf visited Bilbo in Bag End, where Balin tells them of the mountain's glory restored in the years after the Battle of Five Armies. Nice ending, right? Sounds great. He had a great life and nothing bad ever happened again. Wrong! Oh, so, no. in Third Age 2989, Balin left Erebor and ventured to reclaim Moria with a company of dwarves, including Oin and Ori. I know how this one ends. So, what were we saying about age bringing wisdom? I know how this one ends. Yeah. Balin established a small colony, but the dwarves were overrun by orcs soon afterwards, and Balin was killed by an orc archer in the Dimril Dale in 2994. Thus, he died in the exact same place his father had been killed. Die in the death, the death, the death, Balin. <laughs> Thus passes uh, Baron Son of Hody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Balin's brother, Dwalin. Like his brother, he was of the royal line of Durin. Dwalin was born during the wanderings of his people following the sack of Erebor. So unlike Balin, po- he wasn't born in Erebor. So he's like a, he's like a post-Smog baby. He is a post-Smog baby. In fact, all of them, except for Thorin and Balin, are post-Smog babies. It's kind of like all the Zoomers are like post-9-11 babies. Yeah, exactly. They exactly. don't remember, but they hear about it all the time. They hear about it all the time, and it has a disproportionate impact on their life, even though they were not yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also... They've been at war the whole time they were alive. Also, like 9-11, um, Bush did Erebor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Dragon fire d- doesn't melt steel beams. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple! <laughs> Personality-wise, uh, Dwalin lent a spare hood and cloak to Bilbo one time. So by that, I can share, like, he's generous and kind and, and loyal to a fault. Yeah, the cloak was too big for Bilbo, though. So, like, kind of sucked. Dumb. Bad gift giver. Now, after the quest, Dwalin lived the rest of his life in Erebor. There he was fabulously wealthy. And when he died in the year 91 of the 4th 
age. Oh, he was in the age of men. Yes. He was aged 340, which is exceptionally old for a dwarf. Their average lifespan is around 250 years. Damn. So from Dwalin on, you will see that there's like not a tremendous amount of characterization. Well, in the book, they're just color-coded by their hoods. Yeah. In fact, as I was researching this, it told me what everybody's hood color was, and I was like, I don't actually care. That's not what I'm going for Give me their Myers-Briggs test, for gosh sakes. Give me that. Are they INFP or INTJ? What's their horoscope? That's all I care about. Is Jupiter in recession? What's going on? <laughs> Thorin, that moody bitch was definitely a Capricorn. <laughs> hey, that's me. No. In uh, Norse mythology, Dvalin is a dwarf whose name translates as Dormant One or The One Slumbering. So he's the sleepy of the group. He's sleepy. He's sleepy, and Dorin is grumpy. Dvalin is definitely Doc. Yeah. Now, in the poem Veluspa, Dvalin is mentioned as a leader taking a host of dwarves from the mountains to find a new dwelling place, which is fitting. Very good. Yeah. Um, there's actually a lot of mentions of the name Dwalin in the Edda. It's a very, very prominent dwarf name. I don't think they're all supposed to be the same character. Mm. Um, but he by far gets the most mentions. You are not going to get this much meat um, on your Edda bones oh, for the okay. rest of the dwarves. Just telling you. Starting with Biffer. Biffer. Now, Biffer. Um, the, the forefathers of all the dwarves of Thorin's company came from Moria, but unlike the rest of the company, Biffer and his cousins, Bofer and Bomber, are not of the royal line of Durin. They're just regular guys. Just, they're just these regular dudes. Everybody else is descended, like, directly from the royal line of Durin, but not Biffer, Bofer, and Bomber. Okay. Right. Biffer, now, personality-wise, Biffer liked raspberry jam. That is, so from that I can extrapolate, <laughs> and, and he's a- apple tart. He's a sweet boy with a sweet tooth. He also played the clarinet. Also- Squidward. Squidward. Squidwardish. Now, in the movie, in he's the one that has, like, stuff sticking out of his skull, right? Yeah, and he, like, can't speak correctly. I mean, he can speak, but he can only speak, like, dwarvish. <laughs> and it's, it's, like, kind of implied that even that is sort of broken because he's got a blade embedded in his skull. He has, a, he has a, an external brain injury. Yes, like, he does. <laughs> yes, he does, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. As a result of the quest for uh, Erebor, Biffer and his cousins each received a share of the fabulous horde of Erebor, and they lived in Erebor for the rest of their days. And they were still alive and well many years after the quest, as reported by Gloin to Frodo Baggins in The Fellowship of the Ring. Gotcha. Yeah. In the poetic Edda, <laughs> Biffer's name means beaver. <laughs> beaver? Beaver? That beaver's building a dam in the beaver, river. Beaver, the river. In the river. Look at the river with all the beavers. <laughs> I told you, like, these name origins get kind of, like, thin after a while. Our favorite sitcom in the 1950s was Leave It to Biffer. Leave it, leave it, Biffer. Leave it to Biffer. (laughs) Bofer. Bofer is such a likable guy in um, the Peter Jackson movie. Yeah, they give him a furry hat. He's a nice man. He got a a, a flute. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't get, like, much of that in the book version. In the book, he likes mince pies and cheese. This is a man who enjoys a fine... He likes the umami taste umami. rather than that sweet taste that Biffer Biffer's prefers. a sweetie boy. Bofer's an umami kind of guy. He also played the clarinet. Bofer was bizarrely the brother of Bombor, but not the brother of Biffer. Biffer and Bofer were cousins, and this really bothers me. But their names are almost the same. Biffer and Bofer should be brothers, and Bombor should be the cousin. Am I wrong? Yeah. Like, that bothers me a lot. Like Biffer, Bofer received a share of the fabulous horde of Erebor, and he lived the rest of his days there. And also like Bofer, his name means beaver. Oh, so a Bofer. Bofer. This is our other show. Called I like the Bofer with the big long teeth. We watch the show. We have a cartoon called The Angry Bofers. <laughs> it comes on after Leave It, leave, leave it to Bofer. Leave it to Bofer. <laughs> Love it to Bofer. 
<laughs> Bomber. All right. Bomber was one of the 12 companions of Thorn and Bilbo on the quest for Erebor. I think I know his personality. Sorry. He was a fat fuck up. That's his personality is fat. <laughs> So Bomber is described as, quote, immensely fat and heavy. And Wikipedia points out that his weight was, quote, problematic. It's offensive. A problematic weight. Bomber triggers me. I'm a special snowflake who only gets this triggered by, by Bomber. By Bomber specifically. For example, trusting neither mountain paths nor ropes to hold his weight, Bomber chose to stay and guard the company's camp while the others moved up to the hidden door to Erebor. Only Bofur stayed with him and they were nearly trapped at the bottom of the cliff when Smaug awoke. The other dwarves were forced to use the ropes to lift them up swiftly just before the camp was destroyed by the rampaging dragon. That doesn't sound like his weight was problematic. That sounds like a personality. It sounds like, yes. He was too lazy to haul his ass up to the door to Erebor, I think, personally. (laughs) Now, Bomber is frequently shown screwing the pooch. And being, the, and being the last in everything. He, um, he tumbled with Biffer and Bofur onto Thorn when they entered Bag End last. He entered Bjorn's house last, and yet still earlier than intended. And he fell into the Enchanted River after complaining about always being last. Bomber. <laughs> Having been immersed in the Enchanted River, Bomber fell into a deep enchanted sleep, and he subsequently was affected by sleep during several key moments later in the book. His first sleep lasted days, forcing his already despairing companions to carry his weight through Mirkwood. And they had that sleep apnea, too, the whole time. Probably. So he stopped breathing every so often. They had to, like, nudge him. <laughs> when Bomber finally awoke, he had no recollection of anything that happened to the company after the party in Bag End. Oh, my so he God. Didn't know he was. Bomber. He was also asleep when his barrel was opened at Eskaroth. <laughs> After the escape from the Woodland Realm, and when Bilbo discovered the secret entrance to Erebor. During the Siege of Erebor, Bilbo used Bomber's sleepiness to advantage, promising to take Bomber's midnight watch and allow him to sleep while escaping with the Arkenstone unnoticed. Pretty good. So even the Arkenstone is basically Bomber's fault. I love him. He's great. He's such a fat lard. In the poetic Edda. He's also a fat lard. His name means fat. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. Now we have another sitcom. It's called The Bomber Biffer. It's about a very fat Biffer. He's very bomber, I mean. He's just very big and he always is eating the trees and falling asleep. And we call it The Biffer Bomber. Bomber. Sorry, The Bomber Biffer. You can't get your own weird fake. His best friend is uh, The Bomber Bolfer and he's another fat Bolfer or Biffer. And they are very bomber together and they just eat all the time and they have their, their bread in the loops. I'm like crying. The Biffer and the Bomber. His name, his name is Fat. His whole personality is Fat. Tolkien, you didn't have to reach that far, bud. for God's sake. Did he have a happy life afterwards, at least? I mean, presumably. Okay. He could sleep and eat all he wanted. God only knows how fat he must have gotten oh after that. Now, Dory. Next is Dory. Along with Nori and Ori, Dory was of Durin's house, a distant relative of Thorin Oakenshield. Dory is described as, quote, a decent fellow despite his grumbling, which is more characterization than the vast majority of the He's not grumbles. His personality is not just, like, fat guy. And Thorin also mentions him as the strongest member of the company. Oh, interesting. For some reason, he always ends up having to carry Bilbo. Dory also lived the rest of his days in Erebor with a heap of treasure. Happy boy. Um, the etymology of his name in the Edda is obscure, although a meaning, the borer, is proposed. Oh, okay, okay. Nori. Uh, like Dory, Nori played the flute. <laughs> Why are they also in the woodwinds? <laughs> they just, like, for some reason have to list every instrument that they played uh, um, at the party of Bag End. There has no, there's no rhythm section? There's no... There, no, there was somebody who played the drum. I just probably didn't write it down. There's no hurdy-gurdy or anything like that? There was no hurdy-gurdy. Okay. If anybody was going to play hurdy-gurdy, it would be Bomber. I didn't say Bomber. But he'd somehow, like, sit on it and break it. eat it on accident. eat it on accident, yes. Nori also got rich and retired in Erebor. His name potentially means... 
shrunken one. Shrunken one? Yeah. That's all dwarves, isn't it? I mean, yes. Okay. Yes, it does. Yeah. Ori. Now, Ori was like the youngest in mm-hmm. the Peter Jackson movies. Uh, younger than Feely and Kelly. That is obviously not the case in the book. Feely and Kelly are the youngest ones. Yeah. Ori was one of the dwarves who, uh, after many years uh, following the quest of Erebor, entered Moria with Balin. He was among the last member of Balin's colony to be killed. So good on you, Ori. Yeah. Uh, last man standing. As is known by his entering the last records in the Book of Marzabul before their final hopeless stand against the orcs. So we cannot get out. We cannot get out. That was him. He's a scribe. So that that doofy, awkward, bowl-cut dwarf you saw in the Hobbit movies really good at is great a penmanship. skeleton with a book in yep. Fellowship of the Ring. Yep. Love it. In the poetic Edda, his name possibly comes from the Old Norse aura, which means to rave or to wrangle, thus meaning one who raves. Oh, okay. Oin. Oin was the elder son of my favoritely named dwarf Groin. Oh, our favorite guy from the worst name challenge. Yep. He, uh, he and his younger brother Gloin were both born during the wanderings of their people. Nearly 40 years later, the two brothers joined the quest of Erebor and they were counted on to start the campfires. Okay. Though the brothers bickered over the task. I bet they did. That's, that's what we. That's what personality we get for Oin and Gloin is that neither of them wanted to start the bonfire. They're bickering bros. After the quest, Oin lived in Erebor for 47 years until he joined Balin's expedition to recolonize Moria. There, as recorded in the Book of Mazarbal, he was killed by the Watcher in the Water while trying to escape via Moria's western door. Uh, he says he's been on the wrong horse, didn't they? Yep. Uh, Gloin was the younger brother of Oin and the father of Gimli. Many years after the quest, Gloin and his son Gimli were sent to Rivendell as an embassy from King Dane II to bring news of Erebor Moria and what they knew of Sauron's plans, whereupon they attended the Council of Elrond. Oh, nice. Yes. Um, Feely. Getting down to the youngest ones here. Yeah, the baby dwarves. So, Feely and his brother Keely were nephews of Thorin, son, sons of Thorin's sister Dis. The two brothers were born in the Blue Mountains and lived there until the quest. They are described as being younger than the other dwarves of Thorin's company by some 50 years. They are generally presented as a pair, and in the book, you basically can't distinguish them at all. Both had blue hoods. Oh my god, they're the same. I can't tell these Silver belts and yellow beards. Oh my gosh. They both so played similar. the fiddle. Oh my god. They also had good eyesight. Well, at least you got a couple string instruments now in the band. But... Yeah, yeah. Uh, still no percussion, though. I know one of them is percussion. I just didn't write it Does down. Does one has like maracas? Um, <laughs> or like one of those like fish that you like scrape yeah. the stick on. Like... <laughs> Some finger symbols. Um, the brothers are consistently described as cheerful, the only two to have come out of the barrels at Lake Town, more or less smiling. Both brothers died in the Battle of Five Armies, defending their uncle Thorin, and were buried with honor. Although Chapter 8 of The Hobbit describes Feely as the youngest, in Appendix A of The Lord of the Rings, his birth year is given as 2859, whereas Achilles is 2864. Joanna's pushed her glasses up her nose. So, who the hell knows? Because it looks like Tolkien didn't. Wow, I'm so glad you noticed these details, because this shows that Tolkien didn't know what the heck he was doing. This shows that Tolkien was a hack. He's a total hack. That's the, that's the, the hidden thesis of this entire yeah. program. Feely's <laughs> uh, name was taken from the Old Norse Feely, which means the filer, referring to the tool. And Wikipedia breathlessly notes, notably, when Feely is introduced in The Hobbit, he is carrying a bag of tools. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. Keely. Keely's description is essentially the exact same as Feely's. <laughs> His name was taken from the Old Norse Keeley, which means the wedge, referring to the tool. Notably, when Keeley is introduced in The Hobbit, he's carrying a bag of tools. Or was it Feely who was carrying the bag of tools? They're both carrying bags of tools. Or was it Keeley who was carrying the bag of tools? Nobody knows. Oh, my God. It's possible that there were two bags of tools. Oh, no. It makes it so complicated. Oh, no. 
All right, so that's what we have in terms of the dwarves. What a what a merry band of color-hooded boys. So what you will have noticed is that Peter Jackson had his work cut out for them, uh, giving them each distinct personalities, mm-hmm. which I think that he mostly did a good job at. I think it's actually one of the better parts of those Hobbit that's movies. That's probably one of the strong points is that they were able to give them actual distinct, like, personages. So, like, Rankin-Bastin do shit. No. <laughs> they gave Thorin a personality and made Bomber fat, and that's about it. They, they spent all their money on those, like, dank songs, so they didn't have yeah, any money left over yeah. for personalities. Yeah, no, in the book, basically the only ones who have personalities, as you'll notice, are Thorin, Balin, and Bomber. And mm-hmm. again, Bomber's personality is, like, I'm fat. A fat man. <laughs> yeah, fat man who screws up and is always loud. <laughs> so that's what I have, Ryan. What do you have for me? Is that all of your Hobbit info? Mm, I mean, it's going to have to be. I wanted to do a third episode, but we're coming up on Spooky October, so unless I can find something so spooky. That, so that's the end of Hobbit talk. It's going to be in the Hobbit talk. Wow. Well, that's interesting. Thank you for telling me about all them dwarves. Yeah. I always liked those guys, and now I like them more. But, you know, it's fun to know where their words, where their names came from. And how, now I know all everything about Norwegian TV. So, and yeah. I said, is Icelandic? Yeah. I, uh, I think the Edda is Icelandic. I mean, all about Icelandic TV. Um, what it, the, which, which which revolves very heavily around beavers. But they're watching in a rake. Pronounced in various ways. For ball, for bomber. All right. What do you got for me? All right. So this is a guy... That's very popular. A guy that comes up quite often in the extended universe. A guy who the fans simply adore. And I'm not being sarcastic here. I'm being serious. Let me read a little quote from a little fellow named Emperor Palpatine about this individual. This one is constantly thinking, analyzing, and strategizing. He showed no fear, but was curious, studying me in turn. We're talking about a guy with a very catchy name. Mithra Norudo. Catchy. Mithra Norudo. That sounds Tolkienish. Maybe you've heard his name referred to as Thrawn. Oh boy. Okay, yeah. So people have mentioned Thrawn on our Facebook page, like in the comments, and I don't know who the hell he is. Well, that will all change after today. And you have like consistently refused to actually do an episode on him for a long time now. Now the issue is, as I talked about earlier with you, I've read the Thrawn trilogy mm-hmm. when I was in like eighth grade, uh, and the Wikipedia article for Thrawn is. 32,000 words! Now, you looked it up, and isn't that basically the same length as The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? It is slightly longer. Yeah. <laughs> Eat your heart out, C.S. Lewis! This is because you hack. Thrawn is a guy who's been in books. He has a whole trilogy of books. He's been in video games. He's been in comic books. He's been in all kinds of things. He's been all over the place. He's a very popular character. And maybe you'll understand why, maybe you won't. But we're going to talk about Thrawn today. All right! So he was born with Thrawn Naruto. His species is a Chiss. You know what chiss is? Um, it's like if you say chess with a New Zealand accent. Chiss, yeah, it was playing chiss. <laughs> Uh, and his main role was serving in the naval forces of the Galactic Empire. You didn't actually tell me what a chiss is. I will. I'm going to get to that in a second. <laughs> okay. So, I just want to say, Mithran Naruto. Yeah. So it sounds like a combination of Gandalf, Mithrandir, and like mm. Naruto. It does a little bit. So it sounds like Gandalf, Naruto running all over the place. With his like, arms behind him so they can't shoot him at Area 51. Yes. Now, anything in that sentence about uh, stand out to you besides his crazy name? Read it to me one more time. Mithra Nudo, better known as Thrawn, was a male Chiss who served in the naval forces of the Galactic Empire. Well, why do they have a navy? The navy? This is like Star Destroyers and stuff. But like, the, what, uh, not on That's a- what stands out to you yeah. after 77 episodes? The navy's episodes? in water. They're not in water. They're in space. No! Stupid. No! It should be the Space Force. No! <laughs> no, what's supposed to stand out at me? He's not a human, and he's serving in the Imperial Navy. That's true, and they're really racist. Yes, he's a chiss. And so here's a picture of Thrawn. 
You can describe what he looks like to the to the kids well, at home. Well, he basically looks like a human. He looks like a very chiseled human man, except he has blue skin and red eyes. So he basically just looks like a recolor of oh. like a like an army man. Or should you say a chiseled man? Chiseled. <laughs> yeah, he's a blue fellow with red eyes. Uh, so chis are these blue skinned near humans from the planet Cilia in the unknown regions. Now you know what the unknown regions are in Star Wars. I think you've mentioned them. They're so like, they're like uncharted territory. So yeah, here's the map of the Star Wars, right? Yeah. Of the galaxy. You got the deep core. It's where Coruscant is and stuff. You got the outer room, Tatooine, way over here, all by itself, is Scylla. So nobody wanted to, like, explore the, the left side of this galaxy. Not that there's, like, a left in space. <laughs> the west side of the galaxy. The west side. Yeah, he's from the west side. Uh, so, yeah, if you look at the map of Star Wars, Scylla is its own tiny little thing out in the middle of nothing. So the Chiss are kind of this this remote, mysterious people who didn't have contact with the rest of the galaxy until much later than the rest of the people we know we've right. talked about so far. They're distinguished by their blue skin and glowing red eyes, which grew darker depending on the oxygen content of their surroundings. Their physical so, form led to some speculation on whether they were an offshoot of humanity's ancient expansions into the galaxy, or whether their physical form coincidentally matched that of humans. I don't think it's a coincidence because he's literally—he's literally like, I, like a handsome 1960s like action movie hero man, yeah, just with like red eyes. The University of Sombra concluded that the fa- concluded the fact that all chiss often appeared in very good physical shape was an indication that the species possessed an active metabolism, which was responsible for their trim figure and lower body temperature. Oh, so there's and like that- a reason he's really trim. And, that, and they are, in so, fact, tied to ancient humans. They just split off like thousands and thousands of years ago. So he's he's a, he's a, a version of humans that is genetically a snack. A snack from front to back and also blue. So if there was like a chiss version of Bomber. He would be blue and handsome and he wouldn't sleep as much. And he also probably wouldn't like screw up as much. Because no, it sounds no. like basically he's genetically awesome is what it sounds like you're telling me about Thrawn. Uh, chiss in general, they're just kind of like cool and collected and have lower body temperatures. Why they're so cool. That's <laughs> funny. Um, they experienced a greatly accelerated growth rate compared to humans. This is kind of interesting. I didn't know this. Um, they reached maturity a lot faster than them. So by the time a chiss was 10, yeah. they had the maturity of a 20-year-old. Um, still not very mature is what you're saying. No, but physical maturity. They were like an adult. Okay. And mentally they were there too. I'm just saying, like, if it's um, me at 20, like, that's, yeah, about the same maturity as I had at 10, to be honest. People didn't know much about them outside of their governments, which was called the Chiss Ascendancy. Okay. Which is basically their own mini version of the Empire. Kind of a militaristic government force. Cool. I mean, but here's the thing. If they're so ascendant and awesome and all trim and smart... Why haven't they, like, expanded their reach? Why are they just stuck in this nowhere planet Scylla? They're just mysterious. They like it out there. But you'll see why. Maybe you'll understand. Maybe it'll make sense. I don't know. Maybe you'll find out. Maybe you'll have the answer as I describe the story of I mean, why am I asking you? You're just supposed to be the Star Wars expert. Again, fill out my survey at the end of this class. Tell me what I'm doing. Give me four stars out of five. You know, three is kind of too low. So say four. Say, didn't really know why Thrones people didn't leave their planet. That sort of thing. It'll be fine. Okay. So let's go back to Thrawn. So Thrawn began his military career. Again, his name is Mithranarudo, but yeah. every Chiss has a... That's all their names are like that. They're all really long. But they yeah. always have a core name. That's like the middle syllable of their name. Okay. And his middle middle syllable is Thrawn. Okay. Right. So Thrawn started his military career in the defense forces of the Chiss Ascendancy. The middle syllable is actually Nah. Um, so if you look at his name, there's there's a, a apostrophes in it. It's like, yeah. it's like the... the so well, the apostrophe sit around, and then the letters on the side of oh, it. Oh, it's actually Mithra Nuruodo. Yeah. Mithra Nuruodo. I've seen it different every time I say it. That's okay. I like Naruto. Mithra Naruodo. Okay. Yeah. I think I said it right the first time, and it's been getting worse every time that's after why, that. That's, that's what this podcast is for, getting progressively worse <laughs> over time. So he was part of the Chiss Ascendancy. He demonstrated his ruthless commitment to eradicating threats to the Ascendancy, and included an advanced force of the Yuzan Vong. 
So you remember oh, we talked about the Yuzan Vong? Are those the super like super nineties goth uh, dudes so that if were go- like Yeah, if you go really, back like Edgelord. If you go back to our solo kids episode, we talk about the Yuzan Vong. I'm not gonna do an episode about them because they suck, but they're basically like this group of aliens from outside the known Star Wars galaxy who have ships that are alive and they're immune to force powers and they're incredibly scary and strong. They're really gothic and dark in 90s. And when they show up at the end of the Star Wars timeline of Legends, all everybody's got to team up, the Empire and the Rebellion, to team up to fight them. And it's really dumb and bad. But they live out in the uh, beyond the unknown regions. So the Chiss are actually the first ones to encounter them. Oh, oh, wow. So they're even more mysterious than the Chiss. Yeah, when they're pretty mysterious. And so the Chiss knew them as the far outsiders. They were far outside, you know, even the unknown regions. Uh-huh. However, many of Thrawn's ways were contrary to that of Chiss society, which, re- which rejected offensive and preventative strikes. So, Oh, is that why they didn't expand? That's why they didn't yeah, expand. Yeah, they're pretty, okay. they're pretty like homebody stuff. Like, defensive. I'm just saying, like, the ascendancy? Like, that sounds like some colonialist shit. It really does. But Thrawn liked kind of being being a bit headstrong, being a bit aggro. And so... He headstrong kinda... will take you on! He did. In 27 BBY, before the Battle of Yavin, Thrawn was part of the Chiss group that made first contact with the inner galaxy inhabitants. Okay. Up to this Good point. Him. It wasn't until 27 BBY that Chiss actually met people from the middle part of the galaxy. Was it, like, illegal? No, they just never did. No one went out there. Okay. The people they met were a, a group of stranded uh, human traders from Corellia. And like kind of like a, a Corellian ship, kind of like the Millennium Falcon. It was stranded yeah. out in unknown regions. And they rescued them. Now, because they had been apart, like the, you know, Chiss had never met anybody from the middle of the galaxy. They did not speak the same language. Chiss did not know galactic basics. Sure, sure, sure. And so the people like could not communicate with these traders. They're trying to talk to them. They didn't understand. But Thrawn was smart. He knew three languages at the time, one of which was the the old trading language of the Outer Rim. Okay. And with that, they were able to have a, a, a mutual conversation. And so he quickly picked up the basic from the traders and learned a lot of, about the about the larger galaxy from them. How quickly? Pretty good. I don't know. He became really interested in it. He wanted to learn more. He wanted to like, you know, you'll find out as we're talking about Thrawn, he's a pretty smart guy. Picks up on stuff pretty fast. Okay. He's kind of a brain. There's a lot of story here I'm skipping out uh, with lots of dumb names. Uh, my favorite being a ship called the Darkvenge. <laughs> One word, Darkvenge. You can tell when these books are written. The 90s. Yes. They were definitely absolutely written in the 90s where everything had to be extreme and to the max. The most important thing that happened in this bit, though, is when Thrawn destroyed an Imperial scouting force in the Unknown Regions. Like, blew up their... their Why'd he do that? They were in the Ron, s- why you do that? They're, he didn't know who they were. They were, they were imp- I don't blow people up every time I don't know who they are. A bunch of crazy TIE fighters flying around the Chiss Ascendancy? No, we're going to shoot that shit. Right? They don't know are who they? these people are. Because they're not supposed to do preemptive strikes. Well, Thrawn did. Oh. Right? He, survived, he caught one surviving scout who introduced him personally to Lord Sidious via hologram. Passion for He's like, oh, who are you from? What are you doing here? And he's like, I'm part of this Galactic Empire. We got this really cool boss who sends us out here to look for things. And, we can FaceTime and, him right now if you want to have my phone and he's in He's like, hands. sure, show me, show me his face. And they talked. Palpatine was pretty impressed with Thrawn's swift military action, like wiping out an elite group of Imperial scouts. Pretty good. Pretty impressive. He wasn't even mad. He was just kind of like, good job, buddy. Nice work. And they soon <laughs> discovered they had a common threat in the, the chist knew them as the Far Outsiders. And Palpatine knew about them, too. He, he, he knew they were coming. And so he sent the scouts out there to look for them, the Yuzan Vong. This is, again, 20, this is like 27 BBY. This is like way before anything happened. This is before even the Empire was a thing. This is back when he was yeah. just Darth Sidious, yeah. right? Yeah. When he was just good old Sheev from the block. Pretty crazy stuff. I'm still, I'm still Sheevy from the block. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Palpatine is trying to scout those guys out when Thrawn destroyed his ship. So it's like, okay, we have a common enemy here. The two sealed their for informal agreement to work together when Thrawn destroyed the Republic exploration ship because he was afraid it would draw the far outsiders into the Republic space. And he just killed, like, every Jedi on board. There's like, 14 of them. Like, part of the Jedi Council were on there, and he kind of blew them up in, in the Unknown Regions, and no one knew about it. Oh, uh, you know, no big thing. And Palpatine's like, I like you, man. That was cool. <laughs> cool. You killed people for no reason. I like that. So they became really good friends. Chiss and human best buds. However, for the Chiss ascendancy, our Thrawny boy had gone a little bit too far. He was a loose cannon and way too aggro to keep his, their society secret from the outside galaxy. So he was like way too aggro to keep their society secret and safe. So they exiled him. Mm, that was probably a good move. I they mean... dumped him on a remote planet out in the uh, unknown regions and stripped him of his ranks. Like with nothing but a single generator and that's it. No ship. Nothing. Just dumped him. And uh, he had to like survive for years out there. Foraging, like, you know, real, real Thrawn versus Wild kind of Ooh, thing. His friend the Emperor can't find him now. No one can find him. No yeah. one knows where he is. He's just stranded on this planet. He has a one generator that keeps his lights on. Other than that, he's got to make his own camp. He's got to hunt animals. He's got to forage for berries and stuff. He kind of became a wild man for a few years. Okay. He had to. In 19 BBY, literally a week after Palpatine's declaration of the Galactic Empire, a TIE fighter crash-landed on Thrawn's little planet after he was pursuing a smuggler. So, like, basically, he's just the beneficiary of people, like, crash-landing where he happens to be. It's pretty cool, yeah. It's really... This is kind of, like, the through line of his life story. It's, like, another really long story, but the Empire kept trying to recover the TIE fighter and the pilot and their flight logs to find where the smuggler went. But Thrawn kept on setting, like, funny traps for them when they arrived. Like Kevin McAllister traps. Like, like he put a bunch of micro-machines on the ground. Yeah, yeah. He, he, like, hid the body. He, like, you know, had all this, like, poison he made from berries and stuff. Basically, he's playing, like, these these really destructive traps. He rigged up a staple gun to shoot them in the crotch through a keyhole. I mean, almost literally. <laughs> um, he was basically trying to make them think there was a whole bunch of, like, advanced uh, native people on the planet. Oh, okay. But it was just it was just him. And it worked. He's giving them the runaround. It's just a little Thrawny. Yep. And so he's trying to like, you know, all the Imperials are like, oh, they're trying to kill us. But meanwhile, Thrawn's trying to sneak into their base, their camp they set up. Yeah. And get on a ship and get off that stupid rock. Eventually he was captured while stealing an Imperial shuttle. But the commander in charge was impressed. His boys had been bamboozled by a single blue guy this whole time. So he said, you should sign up for the Empire. And Thrawn's like, well, I don't want to live here anymore. So, okay. I'll come with you. Is that was his only other option? I mean, honestly, he was... Sign up for the Empire or we're going to leave you here. Was that the subtext? Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. Thrawn was given private training at the Imperial Academy of Carita, which might not sound familiar to you. We did talk about it before. It's where Han Solo went to school to become a pilot. Okay. It's also where Dash Rendar went before he left when his brother was killed. Yeah. So not the greatest track record as far as their alma mater goes. Um, you got two guys who became smugglers after the fact. Kind of a garbage school. But Thrawn thrived there and grows quickly through the ranks. Though as one of the few non-human officers in the Imperial Navy, Thrawn was forced to constantly prove his abilities to other officers. Oh my god, that's so racist. It really is, you know? Was he like the only non... I mean, like, he was humanoid enough. But he was not human at all. He was blue, and it's not easy being blue. Oh my gosh. Just, just what a, do they do? Did they, were there like a lot of... They tested him a lot. And it's kind of like, you know, when there's like affirmative action type stuff and the kids feel like they have to like work twice as hard. and Oh, what? They're like, oh, you just, you didn't get in here on your own merits. You're like a diversity. Exactly. A diversity hire. Our token chiss. Yeah. You know, our blue guy. Ugh. But even so, he did pretty well and reached the rank of colonel. But at the time, he was, he was uh, made in charge of the Academy's crappiest officers. Like they gave him all the failures. Just like, you know. Yeah. It'd make his job harder, right? But you know what? It only made him stronger. It's like Emilio Estevez in The Mighty Ducks. Yeah, 
He was giving all the crap. It's like yeah, it's like or like uh, heavyweights or something, right? He's giving all the quack. all the fat officers. Quack, quack, yeah, quack, quack, quack. He's giving the bomber of officers. He was giving all the bombers. Every single bomber was Thrawn's. In one early mission as colonel, he discovered an abandoned fortress on a planet called Nuruin on the border of galactic space in the unknown regions, like right on the edge of his old neighborhood. Yeah. Due to its location and impenetrability, Thrawn chose it to become his personal base of operations, and he named it the Hand of Thrawn. Like the glove of Darth Vader, but the Hand of Thrawn. That's what his base is called. It's like a big fortress. Oh, that's yeah. like a bit self-aggrandizing, I'm going to say. A little bit, but it's okay. He made alliances with local planet systems and colonies and soon formed what he called the Empire of the Hand. Uh, the government was more a confederation than an empire, however, with many different species retaining their autonomy within it. The nominal, so it was kind of nominally connected to the empire, like it had empire in the name. They had stormtroopers walking around and stuff, but it did not involve, it did not adopt the specious policies of a rule by terror. So, of oh. empire, Palpatine's empire, he's making kind of like his own mini, more egalitarian empire. No racism. No racism. No speciesism. No, there's colorblind. Uh, not rule of terror. You know, he's not like with an iron fist. He's kind well, of like. That doesn't sound so bad, but then again, the fact that he named it the Hand of Thrawn is like slightly menacing. A little bit, but the best part is. No one knew about it. The Empire, the Emperor, no one knew about it. Well, you said there were stormtroopers there. They were they were Thrawn's guys. They and didn't have to report to anybody. They reported to Thrawn only, baby. Oh. Yep, he had his own little little area, his own little confederacy out there. By one BBY, one year before the Battle of Yavin, Thrawn had achieved more victories and earned more promotions than most officers had, who had served for twice as long, and reached the rank of captain and given command of the Imperial Star Destroyer, Vengeance. All while running his own, like... Side empire. Side empire that nobody yeah. knew about. You know, it's not called the Dark Venge, but it'll do. Vengeance. It's okay. The, the Dark Venge, yeah. Two weeks after the destruction of the Death Star, Thrawn was one of ten elite Imperial officers invited to Palpatine's private chamber to discuss the future plans of the Empire. He's, like, in the inner circle now. I can just see him bringing him in there, and he, like, opens, like, this glass decanter of, like, brandy mm-hmm. or whatever. He's, like, hey, pouring it out. Yeah. And- he, he has like, he has like all those extremely obvious like Sith artifacts yeah. that you see in Episode Three. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. We're all wearing black Definitely anyway. Definitely not we're all, evil. It's fine. Know, we're, we're not the bad guys. Uh, he kept doing cool stuff and reached the rank of Grand Admiral in two ABY, which was the highest position ever reached by a non-human in the Imperial hierarchy. Which is higher, Grand Admiral or Grand Moff? Grand Admiral. Higher than Targals? There was only twelve Grand Admirals, and he was the thirteenth. Oh. Lucky number 13. Moffs were like governors. The admirals were like the admiral of a navy, right? They're in charge of like the entire fleet. But it did awfully seem like Grand Moff Tarkin was giving like sort of military type orders. He was. He was. I mean, Moffs are important. Okay. But the Grand Admiral, more important. More important. At least more like, they had more, more guys to his name, you know? Well, he had like an entire empire to Shh, his secret. name. Shh. So basically everything was coming up Thrawn at this point. Yeah. Right? He's got his own Star Destroyer. He's a Grand Admiral. He's best buddies with the Emperor. He's got his private ar- private little empire on the side. He's doing pretty darn good, right? Now, I've gone into his, mil- his like military accomplishments. We've really got a good sense of who the guy is. Yeah, like who is he as a person? Well, I mean, like, I get the idea that he's like, Kind of goes off ha- half cocked. Kind of half cocked. You know, he's, um, pretty, you know, he's pretty smart. He'll, he'll, he'll just like do preemptive strikes. You know, he's also like kind of a nice guy in little ways. Well, I mean, like, he's, he doesn't like racism anyway. Right. So let's talk about his, uh, this Blue Man of Mysteries command style. Okay. Okay. Thrawn was strongly opposed to what he called the quote unquote Vader style of command, which mostly came down to like choking people and scaring them around. Okay. So right? we want soft power here. We want, we want yeah. hearts and minds. No temper tantrums on a Thrawn ship. Okay. You no. Know? Thrawn encouraged his crews to be creative, speak their minds, and rewarded them for trying risky things, even if they failed. 
so bad. If he executed any of them, it was because he didn't take responsibility for their actions. That's not bad. Well, it's better than Vader killing people for just, like, saying the wrong word to him or something. Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, sure. Right. He's just punishing them for not, like, taking responsibility for their failures, which he approved of. He approved people. I still feel like there, were probably, there was probably a way to punish that without execution, but. The Empire's got some rules and regulations <laughs> you got to follow. Thrawn was willing to admit defeat and uh, appeared uninterested in personal glory. Okay. Despite having the hand of Thrawn. I mean, but they, people didn't know about that. Um, I um, just, but I just saw a picture of him, and that physique is glorious. But he wasn't trying to, like, up himself, you know? He was always trying to, like, focus on the Empire, focus on the He was trying to up himself, but he made his own Empire. Well, I mean... I mean, that is kind of... And, and he named it the Hand of Thrawn. Just, we're saying this, compared to other Imperial officers... <laughs> That's true. The bar is, like, staggering. We're talking about low. a lot of really crappy Grand Moffs. talk about a lot of really crappy commanders who just want personal glory, and they're named to be in a higher rank and everything. Yes. Thrawn didn't really care to care about that. So and, like, and he also did keep that empire secret. He really did, yeah. And his crews were consistently in high morale because he kept them, he, he appreciated them, he respected them. And they had the cool boss. Like, actually the cool boss. And he, he would like, yeah. And it wasn't just like... It wasn't like a David Brent It wasn't just like or, token stuff where like, yeah. um, you know, whenever there were rumblings of starting a union, he'd throw them a pizza party. No, he's like, like he actually your followed opinion. through. Let's hear your opinion. Like, let's make an actual non-hostile work environment. Let's, think, let's talk about it, yeah. yeah. Let's rap a bit. Turn let's the chair around. Yeah. Thrawn was a cool boss. Thrawn was a well-read guy with a vast knowledge of galactic customs and history, which he read up on despite not having visited, you know. He, he only made contact with them as, like, an adult. But then as, as, he, as time went on, he just, like, read voraciously, learned everything off the hollow net that he could about sure. the cultures around him. He was an avid art aficionado as well. That's kind of one of his main traits. And he believed he could understand the psychology of a species just through their art. Look at a painting or a sculpture, you can know exactly what they're going to do. Which also helped him in tactics. Because he knew their tactical limitations based on their art as well. So if he was going to look at like a Picasso painting, like what would he predict from that? He'd say, well, this guy, he's a... Uh, like what's his tactical strategy going to be like? If Pablo Picasso was going to attack Thrawn's secret empire, well, it depends what kind of be? what period of Picasso you're talking blue. about. The blue period? Mm-hmm. He's not going to attack. He's just going to be depressed and die. This guy can, can't use the color orange. We will use that against him. <laughs> you see Pablo Picasso sees the color orange during the blue period. Just <laughs> yeah. self-destruct. Yeah, this yeah, is like a vampire. So this attention to detail, plus always planning one step ahead of his opponents, made him have many victories, many of which were bloodless, or at the very least, did not result in the annihilation of an entire species like other Imperial attacks. His, his main goal is trying to like do it as bloodlessly as possible. No genocide. No genocide if, if, he, had, if he had to. There's only, there's oh, like, okay. Sometimes, there, I mean, sometimes well, there's no way around it. You just got to In genocide, the books, there's, there's, there's only one species he had to eradicate completely because he did not understand their art. It's like a really, <laughs> it was a really primitive sculpture, and he could not get a read on them. He tried everything. Well, they wouldn't cooperate. Kill him. I have to say, like, I have been to some modern art museums where I didn't understand the art, but I never considered genocide <laughs> as a solution to the issue. Ron is a different... What is this? What is this? It's just like a rubber band hung on a hook on a wall. Genocide is the Genos- only answer, I can't understand my these guys. Let's kill them. Ha- We're just going to kill them. We're just going to kill them. So that's kind of Thrawn's personality. He's, he's a thinker. He's a respecter. He's an art guy. Cool. Many high-ranking members of the Imperial Court still had not accepted Thrawn as their Grand Admiral and became increasingly involved with frequent infighting within the Imperial Palace. Because they kept on, like, pulling him into drama. Oh, my God. He hates drama. He would definitely list, like, I hate drama on his social media profile, and yet he's involved in all the drama. But he didn't try to start it. It was the other guys. Yeah, well, that's what what people who say they hate drama always say. (laughs) Thrawn initially seemed to have an ally in Grand Admiral Rufan Tegelinus, but he was actually a humanocentric Imperial. Oh. And he was, just, he was just using Thrawn. Humanocentric, i.e. racist. Yeah. He's just using the minority. He only befriended Thrawn to betray him. 
Thrawn's enemies eventually put aside their differences and united against him. He found himself on the wrong side of internal politics and was banished from the Imperial Court. Uh-oh. Everyone turned on him. Whereas you, you, you don't want to judge people based on their appearance? Get out! Whereas Thrawn's allies were demoted and reassigned to the Outer Rim territories, this was felt to be too good for an alien in the Empire. Oh, God. And Thrawn's enemies persuaded Palpatine to effectively exile him on a cartography mission in the Unknown Regions. But you know what? Like, it, at the end, whatever they do to him doesn't really matter because he has his own empire. Yeah, end of the day, you're right. End of the day, like, worst comes to worst, he could just withdraw and rule his own little empire that he named after himself. But now we find Thrawn exiled again. Uh, wah, wah. Let me guess, like, uh, a ship accidentally crash lands and no, turns no, no. things around for him. So he's sending this brilliant strategist out to do, like, galaxy mapping. Like, it's, a, it's yeah. a real low blow, right? Like, and he's definitely going to see through that. But... Here's where he if turns it around. Cowed, oh, turns baby. out he actually wanted to be sent out there. Oh, baby! His hometown area, so he could spread the Empire's influence and the Empire of the Hand's influence into his old area and scope out the threats. Oh, baby. Wait, why is he still trying to... Like, the Empire just screwed him. Why is he still trying to spread their influence? Because Palpatine knew about this. <gasps> he was the one who came up... So they're like, like, we can't have this chiss hanging around here. What are you going to do, boss? And he's like, we'll send him to the uh, unknown regions. You're right. We don't need their kind around here. Wink, wink at the Uthron. Don't have too much fun out there. And, you know, he went out there and was like, this is what I wanted. Man. Perfect. So, but like, it's kind of like so. Obviously, he's playing the long game, and Palpatine's yeah. in on it. But it still, kind of sucks that like he has to go through the daily indignities yeah, of like it... being a minor, an oppressed minority. But again, and the pa- Palpatine isn't doing anything about it. Like he he goes, he, he's not allowed to like sit at the lunch counter and right. stuff. Like that sucks. He has to sit at the back of the Star Destroyer. Yeah. Uh, no, he's a. Uh, that's the thing about Thrawn. He's not like making a big make a lot of hay about it because he knows the ends will justify the means. The Empire is the most important thing. My empire is the most important thing. People make it fun of me now. I got plans for that. Got it. No worries. Well, maybe it's to his advantage that people uh, underestimate him because of his race. Yeah. So Palpatine would consistently send out uh, supplies and ships and troops to him out in the unknown territories. And anyone who spoke, spoke ill of him back in Coruscant was punished really harshly. Uh, so, I mean, we already know that Palpatine is like a caddy bee who lives for drama. Who yeah, like, oh yeah. He likes pitting his boys against each other. Oh, absolutely. So They're all trying to get daddy's affection. It's just more of this, you know? Okay, yeah. yeah. A lot of stuff happened when Thrawn Daddy was in- said, I get to go on the cartography mission. Daddy. Lots of stuff happened out in the Unknown Regions, but basically Thrawn was able to expand his empire, both the Galactic Empire and his own, throughout the Unknown Regions. There are a bunch of stories in here, like, they're really long. It's a bunch of, bunch of comics, a bunch of books came out here. Um, there's one where he helped hunt rebels fleeing from Hoth, like, the ones that, like, after Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. He's, like, hunting them in the Outer Rim, because he's already kind of in the area. Oh. Right? Um, there's also another big adventure where he dressed up like a Mandalorian bounty hunter who was allied with the Black Sun, like the criminal organization, uh-huh, uh-huh. to provoke an Imperial attack against the Black Sun in order to assist Darth Vader in his secret campaign against Prince Zizor. I can't say I followed that... But then again, I'm not a military strategist, and also I hate Prince Zizor. So Prince Zizor is the head of the Black Sun. Yes. And uh, Thrawn dressed up like a, a, a Mandalorian bounty hunter who was affiliated with the Black Black Sun. Yes. So to, in their employ to do something stupid and make the Empire attack the Black Sun. Oh. And no one knew it was him because he thought he was in the outer rim. They thought he was or out in the oh, under shit. regions. Nobody so. saw that coming. No one saw him coming. I. I 
Oh, so he wanted to eradicate the Black Sun. Well, Vader wanted to get rid of Shizor. Who so, doesn't? Right. Who doesn't? And Thrawn's like, hey, that guy Kimono sucks too. I'll help freak. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll dress up. It's fine. Absolutely. It'll be fun. Yeah. So Vader and Thrawn were actually kind of buds. You know, they got cool. along pretty good. Yeah, well, they teamed up they to did, take down a pervert. They so disagreed on, on government style, commander style, but, you know, they can work together to take down a pervert in a kimono. Cool. It was a whole thing. Uh, he pacified space pirates in the outer out there. And he also discovered the planet Mirkir, which is home to the Isalamiri, which I think I mentioned in the Solo Kids episode. Yes, but I don't remember. So they're these little guys. Remember these guys yeah, at all? Yeah, yeah, I do. So they're cute. these are little lizardy cuties who block force powers in a radius around yes, them. Yes, 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 yes. I remember that. They became Thrawn's favorite little guys. Well, yeah. And he's frequently seen with one on his shoulder. Oh, so you can't even use the force when you're around him. Right, he's got this radius of... What is this you're showing me? Is it like a life-size action statue of Thrawn with a lizard on his shoulder? It's a collectible bust you can buy of Thrawn. Oh. Yeah, Thrawn's actually one of the extended universe characters who has a lot of merchandise for him. Yeah. Yeah, here's one of his little buddy. He always had one on his shoulder, little friend. So that not only could the Jedi, but Vader couldn't get to him either. Couldn't choke him. His frenemy. His frenemy. He's he's an animal lover too. Another new friend made during this time came from his dealings with the primitive Nogri people. Thrawn's given control over the Nogri, which had been used by the Emperor and Vader as strong, nearly unstoppable thugs for, like, decades. Um, like mercs. Mercs, yeah. Mercs with a mouth. Thrawn enjoyed their services, but treated them a little better than the rest of the Empire. Because he was, like, obviously not a specious. Uh-huh, he was like, you guys uh-huh. are people. Yeah. Right? And earned him loyalty of a personal bodyguard named Rook. Rook? There's Rook. Ooh. So the Nogri are kind of these gray-skinned, lizardy kind of guys. They're really, like, stocky and thick. Kind of also kind of like goblins or yeah, something. Yeah. Made of stone, maybe? or The Empire had used them for a long time and Thrawn got control of them, so he had new friends. But be nice. But be nice. Kindness. Kindness is magic. Ki- kindness and very selective genocide when you don't understand the art. <laughs> I think he understood the Nagri art pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he must have. Their finger paintings... He could get, get all, every sense of them. Yeah. Every every ridge of their brain he can He understand. was like, this is, this is like a prime example of Impressionism. I got this. I got these guys. I get it. Thrawn remained in the Unknown Regions through 4 ABY when news spread that the Emperor had been killed at the Battle of Endor. So he's out in the Outer Regions when his buddy gets blown up. Thrown down a, thrown down a well by, by a robot. But did he actually? Because isn't Palpatine going to be in Episode yeah, Rise 9? Rise of Sky- Who knows? Um, the Empire Jeez. then fractured into factions led by various moths and Imperial higher-ups who are all fighting for the highest position. There's a bunch of squabbling babies saying, I'm the leader of the Empire. No, I'm the leader of the Empire. It's a big deal. The rebels captured Coruscant in the process. The Republic was founded. The Empire was in really bad shape. Yeah. By the time of 8 ABY, the Empire only held a quarter of its former systems with a small squabbling council that was in charge of everything. And it was then that Thrawn decided to re-emerge from the Unknown Regions. Stake his Surprise, claim. bitch! Bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. He announced his return from the Unknown Regions on the Emperor's official comms channel, which had long been dead for eight years. So he like hops on like this old um, message board and starts necro posting. The old official <laughs> message board. He's basically, he, he logged in the... Ad- on the old BBS? He hopped on the admin's account yeah. and started posting on the BBS. And everyone's like, oh, he's back. He's back. Who was even checking it if no one was using it anymore? You know, the, the, the diehards. Oh, okay. Um... And soon he had Imperial military commands flocking to him because they saw him as kind of like the one guy who could bring everything back together. Well, they have good associates. They, they remember him from like the glory years. Right. They remember him being a good commander who took care of people and was respected. Yeah. Right? And uh, things have just gotten so much worse. It's, it's kind of like now we have all these like, um, like nominally sort of left of center people who are like being all nostalgic about Bush. Yeah. Because things have just gotten so much worse since then. The throne's basically Bernie. He's coming out. Basically, <laughs> he's going to shake things does, up. Does Bernie also murder civilizations when he doesn't understand their art? Listen, I understand about 1% of your art. 
99% of it's incomprehensible. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, when you put it that way. Okay. Um, so they all joined and they amassed him along with the Empire of the Hand. He had remnant forces. He had his own guys. And they all declared him the Supreme Commander. And he began his, he began his galaxy-wide cleanup of the Empire's messes. But first stop, the Emperor's Secret Storehouse. Actually, before that, he went to an art auction on Tatooine to win an Alderanian painting called Killick Twilight. That's like a whole story. I'm oh, gonna, okay. That's so a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. Okay. <laughs> he got the painting in the did end. Did he get the painting? He oh, did. Oh, good. Was it, was it a naked painting? Well, the painting had... Was it a nudie painting? It was, it was a moss painting. It was painted on a moss, and the moss would grow over time to change the painting. Ooh. And it was from Alderaan, and the moss was extinct, obviously, because the planet blew up. Right. Ooh, I would bid on that. And so, what it did had, though, because the guy who painted it was actually a rebel agent, and he embedded a, a code that the rebellion was trying to get. And so it was this whole art auction thing between Thrawn and Princess Leia. Oh, um, and Princess Leia lost. Princess Leia and Han Solo managed to get the painting. They extracted the code they needed and left the painting behind, and Thrawn got it. Like, oh, that's okay. the story like by default. It's a whole book. Oh, okay, it's this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he made it to the secret storehouse where he found 20,000 illegal cloning chambers to make clones. His big idea was to make a new army. Score, you know? Sure, clone madness was a thing, but he discovered his little buddies, the Salamiri, his little shoulder friends, could make the madness go away if, oh they, were, if they were present while the clones are being made. Dude, I feel like um, people in the Star Wars universe always just luck into a clone army. It's super nice, Nobody, right? like, intentionally has a clone army. They're just like, you know, between, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, them being like, we have the thousands of clones you ordered, and him being like, yes, thousands that, of clones. Of course, yes. Thank you. And then, like, Thrawn just, like, randomly finding 20,000 no, clones. He knew chambers. they were there. He knew this. He knew the Emperor's hiding something big But again, in like, everyone just lucks into yeah, clone armies. Yeah, that's true. It's true. When am I going to luck into a when it's, when's it's, it's my turn. turn so he sent a bunch of his guys to go to Mirkir and start picking up those little lizard friends yeah and mass like basically taking the whole population and taking them with him so to, like, they're kind of like um what do you call them like they're like, they're like service animals they're like <laughs> emotional support animals they they keep the yeah keep the clones keep at the, bay the madness away yeah yeah they keep them from being going crazy Clone Madness was a thing. As we know with Luke Skywalker Luke Skywalker you go crazy I think he just went crazy because his name sucks so bad right so he was prepared to battle whatever guardian Palpatine left behind at the storehouse. Yes. Anybody. He's like, guys, he'll sell him here on the shoulder. He's like, I'll fight anybody who comes at me. And it was a crazy guy called Joris Kabauth. We talked about before. Kabauth. He was the crazy dark Jedi who trained Mara Jade. Okay. And yeah. she eventually killed him that in a duel. Evil. Yeah. Yeah. And when, she, when she met Luke, she killed him. Yes. You know, they come together, right? Um, Thrawn convinced him that he could capture the then unborn solo twins and train them in evil stuff and... Joris was like, yeah, that sounds good. Oh, cool. I'm dead. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. Why use, not? Use these clones. Do I, don't, I don't have anything else on my schedule today. So. I want to train those evil babies. Like, let's do it, man. Yeah. Um, then it was clone time. The Salamiri were set up. They're all present. He found he could pump out a stable adult clone in 20 days. Just 20 days? What, to mature from embryo to adult clone? Mm-hmm. That's not how cloning works. Well, in this cloning chamber, it sure does. <laughs> uh, also, he cloned himself for safekeeping. Like, he made a clone of Thrawn. Just in case. To, like, freeze away? What's that going to do? Well, we'll get back to that does later. It, have, it doesn't have all Thrawn's knowledge and memories. It was just born. It's a baby clone. No, but just has his uh, his anatomy and his, his uh, you know, capable brain. But, yeah, none of his actual knowledge. Um, his conquest of systems and reclamation of the Empire had his ups and downs and run-ins with the movie hero gang. Like, uh-huh. Luke Skywalker stepped on his plans plenty of times. Sure. But he was doing pretty good. He's kicking all the Moff's asses, like, forcing them under his wing or killing their guys. Kicking ass, taking names. Doing a good job. Between his established fleet and his new clone army, he had rallied a huge force that he was commanding. His biggest mission was to retake Coruscant. 
which is under control of the rebellion, uh-huh. or in this case, the Republic. And his plan was pretty wacky. I'm ready. Ready for this master I'm ready. strategy? Lay this wacky plan on me. What he did, he took 12 asteroids, stuck clo- cloaking devices on them. So you them. couldn't see them. They are invisible asteroids. He so brought he 12 invisible asteroids. He took his entire fleet of star destroyers and parked them all around Coruscant. Yes. And then started and told them to surrender. Like, got you surrounded. And the Republic's like, no, we can fight you. We got mobile attack bases. And he's like, all right. And he started launching asteroids at Coruscant. Invisible asteroids. And they would uncloak them as soon as they hit the atmosphere. Oh. And so, and also he had all these star destroyers start shooting their guns, like shooting blanks. It looked like there was like hundreds of asteroids about to hit the planet. And he's oh. like, listen, you can surrender and I'll shoot them down myself. Or these asteroids are going to blow up Coruscant. Like your choice. Now, he had them believe there was 286 asteroids. There were only 12. Only 12. That's where the illusion, the, the trickery came in. And, uh, of course, I was like, okay, fine. They let him in and thrust up a blockade. Not a single life was lost. No one died. No ships were destroyed. It's a bloodless coup. A bloodless coup. And he owned Coruscant then. All seemed pretty cool. But then Luke and Mara Jade killed Kabouth, the evil dark Jedi, and destroyed his cloning facility. Like, oh, All 20,000? He blew it up. clone chambers? They blew wow. it up. They destroyed it. Detonated it. So Thrawn's like, all right, I need more guys uh, to, to fill my Coruscant ranks. I'm going to go back to the Nogri. Those guys that I own now. Like yeah. my, 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 my lizardy gray pals. Yeah. And uh, I need, you know, and he's like, all you Nogri, I'm, I'm back. I'm here to restore your planet. Remember it's your boy. Remember me. You guys are kind of sick and hungry, but I'm going to help you. I want to make you feel better. However, his bodyguard Rook, remember him? Yeah. He discovered Thrawn merely wanted to use the Nogri in his army and kept the people perpetually indebted to the Empire. Uh, In fact, Thrawn was... I mean, did he think, like, this person in power was, like, being nice to him because he's a good person? Well, it gets worse than that. Thrawn was actually purposefully keeping them sick and poor. Oh, no! Like, giving them, like... Oh, no! Keeping them blocked off from the rest of the galaxy in order so they'd be perpetually indebted and basically, like, slaves to the Empire. Are we sure he's not racist? Word got out, and the Nogri pledged loyalty to the Republic in secret. Oh, everything's done in secret. And so nobody, let me let me just, like, to confirm, still nobody knows about Thrawn's secret empire that he I made, think at right? this point everyone knows because he's using them as, like, his... Oh, okay. His, he still has the hand of Thrawn as, like, his home base. Yes. Um, the Nogri turned on Thrawn and chased him off-world. You don't actually like us, you're just pretending! He beat a hasty retreat. And he's kind of sitting in his command chair thinking about, like, oh, Rook, what went wrong? I don't understand. And Rook came up behind him and stabbed him through the chest. Holy sh... Did he die? Yes. Oh! Yes. Uh, Thrawn was dead, and his united Imperial remnant soon fractured again, and that was the end of his story. Wow. Or was it? I, I'm willing to bet it wasn't, because it sounds like he's a pretty popular character. Well, it kind of was, because there was a whole thing about Thrawn's clone that he kept in safekeeping. Oh, yeah, that's right. He had the security, but we wouldn't have gotten blown up with the rest of the facility. No, it was in a separate facility. Oh, okay. And he met up with the Emperor's clone. It was a whole thing. It was like Wait, Thrawn's clone and the Emperor's clone met each other. And... Right. The Emperor's clone was like still like super evil, and Thrawn's clone. It's important. Thrawn, Thrawn's, clone like... Thrawn's clone was interesting because he knew he was a clone. Evilness he... does not yeah. get passed on in the genetic code, nor do memories or experience or military prowess. Baby Thrawn was actually kind of a good guy, but they got that whole thing got pretty kiboshed. I think it was around the time that that Disney bought Star Wars. Oh, and so they're like, eh, no, we're not doing this. That's not gonna happen. No, no like this person's clone meets this person's yeah. clone. Let's go behind the like, scenes. There's not gonna be any end to it. Briefly here. Grand Admiral Thrawn first appeared in the, Th- the Thrawn trilogy uh, by Timothy Zahn. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called Heir to the Empire. That was the first appearance of him. And he became extremely popular. Zahn stated that Thrawn's character is a composite of various historical and fictional personalities, including Erwin Rommel, 
the the, the Nazi, Nazi tank commander. Yep. Robert E. Lee. Okay. Hannibal Barca. Uh huh. Alexander the Great. Uh huh. So basically, Sher- like every like big military guy. And Sherlock Holmes. Huh? <laughs> deduction. He's able to deduct things about oh, people based he's on. Oh, a deduction. He can tell things about them from their art, from their from their culture. But Sherlock Holmes never killed a culture because he couldn't understand their paintings. But he probably would have if he was had a whole army at his back. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. He's one of the few extended universe characters that's like had toys and and products made of him. Which some of which you've shown me. Yeah, as far as EU character goes, it usually is like him and Mara Jade kind of fluctuate between first and second place as far as like which one's the most popular extended universe character. People of Mara Jade, people of Thrawn. They're from the same period, so I think that's probably part of it. Right. Um, Now, there's a huge demand for Thrawn to come back in the new Disney canon. And Disney kind of hemmed and hawed for a long time. And then finally, in season three of Rebels... Thrawn shows up. Wait, really? Thrawn is the main antagonist of Rebels from that point on. I thought Rebels ended. Rebels did end, but it went for like six seasons. Oh, okay. And Thrawn was the antagonist for the last three. Wait, really? Yeah. Did you watch that? I haven't. I want to. I've seen a little bit of it. Um, and actually, like his whole backstory is pretty much the same. The, the Chiss ascendancy is there. His exile is still there. Wow. I kept all that in there. And Rebels takes place before A New Hope starts. And yeah. so that's where the timelines kind of diverge. Yeah. But from what I've seen, he's still the same like art loving, strategy genius, blue boy. So basically, if it's popular enough, the expanded universe will become canon. Yeah, yeah. It just has to be popular. Right. Right. Does that mean Mara Jade is going to become canon? I mean, they've already... The problem is they they are not covering any part of that that timeline yet. They haven't done anything. Also, they've already shown Luke, and he is not a married man. He's like this old curmudgeonly uh, bachelor on an island drinking blue breast milk out of aliens. Actually, it's green breast milk. Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot the color of the breast milk that Luke is drinking alone on his bachelor pad. I always remembered it. Um, But... Yeah, I don't know. There's not really much place for Mara Jade unless they put her in as like a... I mean, the whole like force-sensitive smuggler working for the Emperor might be kind of cool if they stick her in another one of these like Disney Plus stories or something sure. like that. But they're probably never going to do the her I mean, Luke I thing. guess we have like a big gap between when Luke was like 20 and when he's like an old man drinking breast milk. So he could have like like married her and then lost her somewhere within that period. And from what I understand, Thrawn didn't die at the end of Rebels too. So he could come back in some aspect. Oh. Pretty cool. I think so. Having talked about you're off about Thrawn, do you understand why he's cool and popular? Yeah, I think he's cool. I think he's cool. Like in terms of expanding universe characters, like I definitely like him better than like Prince Caesar. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's not saying much. It's, it says something that like Mara Jade and, and Thrawn are remembered way more than like Dash Rendar. Yeah, I definitely like, like him better than Dash Rendar, who's basically just like a low rent um, Han Solo or like uh, the Jedi Prince guys. Or yeah, yeah, the Jedi Prince. Uh, you, you know all Ken? the. <laughs> I wish I didn't remember Ken. <laughs> you know, the only thing I think um, sticks in my mind more than Thrawn uh, at this point is the tubular transport. Yeah. That's my favorite expanded universe character. So that's what I got for you. Cool, Ryan. Thanks for explaining Thrawn, finally. You're welcome. After like literally basically two years of requests. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. I probably butchered it because I haven't read those books in a long time. I'm not going to talk about the hottest takes this week because we're running kind of long. Go on our Facebook. I... We'll have posted the two weeks that I forgot to post by the point you time you listen to this. So. Ryan has like literally one job. Okay, well he has literally have multiple a lot of jobs. jobs because he does have to like also record and edit this and maintain the Twitter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What but, do you do? Um, you post I memes. post memes. <laughs> Our driving engagement, according to Facebook analytics. You're a memer and schemer. I'm yeah. doing all the hard work behind the scenes. I just steal memes from other people. I post them on our page. Listen, that is a full-time job. You're just like all the, the, the glory-grubbing officers of the Empire. I'm like Thrawn doing all the hard work in the background. For I the never color. pretended to be anything else. Oh my gosh, you glory hound. Yeah. Well, anyway, Ryan's going to get on it. I will. Yeah, so go on our Facebook page, What's Lightsaber's Precious. Uh, you can find us on our website, whatslightsaberspreciouscom Remember we- to vote for... 
the worst take because there are some horrible ones from last time, if you remember. Please do do that. We're not going to remind you. You'll be reminded on Facebook. So we'll talk to you later next, guys. Our next episode may get a bit spooky. Spooky October! Because it's only spooky September right now, but it's time to get spooky. We'll taste it next time. All right. So have a good one, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.